Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Everyone listening to this episode is fired. <laughs> so we are reacting to Mike Acton's 2019 talk, Everyone Watching This is Fired. And uh, when I sent it over to Will, his response was, I don't think I've seen that. And then he started watching it and goes, Oh, yeah, I saw that a while back. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've had it on my list of things to talk about for a while, but it just hasn't come up yet. So we are going to go through the uh, 50 things he expects of developers and discuss them. Or, well, as many as we can get within roughly an hour, which is what we're giving ourselves a time box on this episode for a total length. So if you haven't watched the video, check it out. There will be a link in the show notes. I'd be surprised if you haven't just because it's been pretty popular and it's several years old. So we're kind of behind the ball on uh, on this, but it's still really cool. So check it out. Before we get to get into that, though, Will, what's gotten you fired up lately? So I, you know, I have I have my home lab, right? And I'm setting up all these uh, containers, you know, so I'm, I'm doing a whole bunch of Docker stuff. It's it's fun, right? And I realized I couldn't tell necessarily if one fell over until I hit it. And so I'm like, okay, I need to set up a monitoring solution. So I set up Uptime Kuma. That's usually how I tell if things were going to fall over. I hit them. Yeah. And I have it pinging various services. You know, some of them, it's actually like doing a SQL call. And some of them, it's, you know, it's HTTP. And some, it's just a raw ping. Yeah. To see if they've fallen over, which is great. However, I will advise you if you're doing something like this and you're going, hey, put this on Discord, you know, kick it out to a bot and, you know, make it show up before you walk away from it, like hang out for an hour or so. Because I had one container that was actually dead. I did, I pushed an environment change and, you know, rebuilt or whatever. And I guess I didn't test it sufficiently and it's not in use yet. And it had fallen over and it was failing 100% of the time. And there was a 60-second polling interval with a, I think it, it, it would try like five times before it said, hey, it's not working. You know, which doesn't sound that big of a deal until you walk away and you leave it overnight doing that. And you've been crap flooded with these kind of messages. So, yeah, just word to the wise, uh, don't do that. <laughs> we expect more of developers, right? <laughs> Of course, you know, it mostly just annoyed my family. I'm, I'm not even real sure it annoyed them because I think, you know, my wife and my daughter are both smart enough to mute a channel. Uh, you know, but it's like in our family Discord server. So, yeah, it, it crap flooded it pretty good. So, how about you? You know, I'm on a couple of Discord servers and I'm never on there because, I don't know, I just, I don't sit at my computer that much. And so like outside of work or work. So yeah. Hmm. All of mine are like nerdy stuff. Well, one of mine is dating for Christian nerds and the other one is Lindsay Sterling. Yeah. So like I'm on, I'm on the Gatsby one. I'm on the obsidian one. Got my own, you know, my daughter and I have one set up for when we're gaming, but you know, that's, I think there's a couple for different podcasts. I'm on several different ones. Um, I'm not real active. I tend to lurk. 
but it's really nice for getting alerts when something has changed. Like for instance, Obsidian, I think it was today, they released their Canvas thing that actually, you know, runs in the note taking app and you can, you know, lay out, you know, more complex notes essentially uh, in their little designer thing. And I, I didn't know that was coming. So now that's on my list of things to look at. It's like number 54 on the list. And I wouldn't have known about it without Discord until, you know, somebody said something about it, you know, six months from now or something. Yeah, that's why I'm on there. So how about you? Yeah. Speaking of Discord. Yeah. <laughs> you, went, you went Christmas shopping, eh? Yeah. Speaking of Discord, I, I finally finished my, my Christmas shopping. I only had like a handful of things left to get. And I realized this is not coming out until January, but this is five days before Christmas finished up this, this weekend. Actually, I have one that is still, it arrives tomorrow. So, but yeah, uh, I, I also am restarting a tradition from childhood. Back when I was growing up, we used to get an ornament every year and we got to pick our own ornament. So they usually like something that we were into that year when we were really young. And then as we kind of got a little bit older, we realized, oh, hey, this is like representing the year. So, you know, I have all sorts of weird stuff from like a TARDIS for the year that I got into Doctor Who to a Hawaiian shirt from my senior year of high school because we, some friends and I started doing Hawaiian shirt Fridays. Yeah, it started off with three guys in English class together and then it became a thing. Yeah. As things. Yeah, that's how things become. happen like that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, this year I got a piano that plays the song Go Tell It on the Mountain, which is really cool because I actually get to play that Christmas Day at church before we recorded, not this episode, but the aftercast. I was actually playing it a little bit late to the call because I got kind of into it and lost track of time. But yeah, so yeah, so that was, that's really cool. It's kind of neat. And then... uh Yesterday, last night, I went over to a friend's house. We had a, a Christmas cookie party where we were baking cookies. My friend who organized it was like, hey, let's all meet up over at this other friend's house and bake cookies. I want to make you German cookies because she's from Germany. And we're all like, all right, this will be cool. I saw this recipe for sriracha gingerbread cookies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to try these. And everybody else was like, oh, no, that sounds gross. That's so disgusting. I'm like, y'all, you need to trust me because I've been right before, you know. Once or twice. Well, heat plus sweet is good anyway. Yeah. Usually when it comes to to food, I'm I'm pretty accurate on what's going to taste good and what's not. So, but they're all like, ooh, that sounds so gross. It sounds so gross. I'm like, all right, whatever. We get there and my friend who's like, like organized this whole thing, she walks in. She's like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to make cookies. I'm like, this was your idea. And she's like, I know, but I had a rough day. And I'm like, all right. So anyway, I ended up making my sriracha gingerbread cookies and everybody loved them. So Google sriracha gingerbread cookies and make them. They are awesome. So that's all I have to say. Saving money is hard, especially during Christmas season. True that, man. Oh, yeah. Real. I'm going to have a kid. I do have eight nieces and nephews, but you know. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but also to take action so that you can create the kind of life that you want to live. You know, a life where you're not worried about money around Christmas, for instance. Yeah. My guy's investing in financial planning services 
really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. The great thing is with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making those better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And the best part about this is that Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. And what that means is that he's not here to sell you a product, but instead to guide you to a better financial situation. You can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you are probably facing or will face. And he also interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. And you can learn even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. In a talk given at the Game Developers Conference, Mike Acton discussed what annoys him about most of the developers he's worked with over the years. Now, he listed these as positive statements and then discussed why the lack of that particular statement annoys him. While they were written for game developers, they're rather generic and pretty much apply across the development landscape. This is going to be a little bit different from other episodes that we've done. We're going to go through Mr. Acton's 50 things expected of developers and react to them you know, kind of in groups as we go along. Sometimes we'll agree with this assessment and other times we may not. So to make it easier and to be able to hit all of them or as many as we can, we've grouped related ones while still keeping them in the original order. Some we'll talk about as a group. Others we are going to discuss individually because I just didn't quite fit in with one of the groups as I was going through this. Uh, We are putting a time box on this. This is going to be interesting because we don't know. We may get done with this in 30 minutes. We may get halfway through it and run out of time. I'm leaning towards the latter just because we both talk too much. We do. We do. But uh, yeah, so that we are putting a time box on this so that the episode doesn't go over once we hit that that kind of end time, we will wrap it up. And if there's a lot left, well, maybe we'll do this again at a later date, especially if it's kind of fun. So we're going to go ahead and jump on in with the the first grouping here. Which is the stuff you need to know before you jump on in. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. It's understanding the problem at hand. I like that. That was good. That was good. Yeah, so the first point is I can articulate precisely what problem I'm trying to solve. Yeah. And the next one is I have articulated precisely what problem I'm trying to solve. The next is I've confirmed that someone else can articulate what problem I'm trying to solve. Followed by I can articulate why my problem is important to solve. And finally, I can articulate how much my problem is worth solving. And I like this set. This is very articulate. It's really about communicating. Well, and it's, yeah, it's about articulation. Uh, but, But it's about how do you explain what you're doing? Yeah. And can you explain it? Because if you can't, it's impossible to write code to do something. Like you have to be able to understand it. That's why they typically tell you to do something manually before you automate it so that you understand it when you try to automate it. That's why they teach you the long way in math first. Yeah. So you understand what you're doing and you understand like where to apply it and where not to apply it. Yeah. Although that, that could vary a little bit too. I've got actually got a calculus book in here that starts with integrals instead of differentials. It's a different way to crack that particular nut. Um, but yeah, like if you can't tell what you're trying to solve, that's a problem. If you haven't told what you're trying to solve, that's probably even a bigger problem. 
because nobody else can help you, really. Well, it's one thing if you can, I guess, if I can articulate it and understand it myself, that is one level. But being able to articulate it, being able to say what the problem is and someone else understand it, especially someone who is not a developer and not familiar with the code base. Yeah. And if they can, if they can explain it in their own words, because you explained it well enough. But then, you know, there's also the bit about, hey, this this problem is important to actually solve, right? If you're building social network software for orangutans, probably not important to solve. If you can't articulate why that's a useful thing and why, you know, they need a social network, maybe pick something else. Is it bad that I'm trying to figure out why that would be important? Yeah, I was too. That's why I was like, I can't come up with anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. But yeah, so like the whole idea here is not just knowing the problem, but being able to vocalize, to verbalize, or write it down however you communicate, being able to communicate that problem. And what value is involved in it. Yeah, because yeah, there's like, we've been doing some some tech debt cleanup stuff right before our... uh a recent push to production. And yeah, there were some of it that was like, you know, any other time I would say this is not worth working on, but we've got some downtime because like, we can't be building new stuff until this is until we're done with this. And so like, it doesn't take all three of us to do this. So this was, it was a good time to do that. It was important because it has definitely made continuing to develop easier but yeah but not like oh my goodness this is the end all be all either well and i think part of this here too is when you articulate out loud what problem you're trying to solve that problem can't be hey i need to use this new technology so i can get a better job well yeah there's that too with your coworkers, right like it has to be a problem that actually affects the people you're who are paying your salary it's also a problem if you can't do these yeah, because that was like the the main point of the the video was like, okay, these are the things that you should be able to do, and here's why. Here's what's wrong with you if you can't, or something like that. I don't say what's yeah. wrong with you, but you know what I mean. I right. I totally would say it, but you know, yeah, yeah, that's that's more your style <laughs> than mine. But yeah, no, it's if you can't express what the problem is, then do you really understand it? Is it really a problem? And if you won't express. Are you being honest? Yeah. Or are you trying to, you know, you're trying to play corporate games? I mean, that that's the other side of this, right? Like if you're not answering to anybody, that says some things too. And it says that the problem is probably not one that's fixable by software. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Same goes along with, uh, with if another person, like you may be able to express the problem, but if no one else can understand it. Yeah. I and mean, it's, it's very rare that you're working at a place where you have a problem so complicated and you are literally the only person who is smart enough to understand it. I can't think of a time that that's happened to me. Now, granted, I don't think I'm in the smart. Yeah, I, was saying, I know that's not happened to me, but I know some people that may have happened to given who they are and where they work. Yeah. But in general, if you're that smart, you should be able to express it in a way that someone else can understand it or at least understand that it's a problem. Yeah. And you, you know, and part of really understanding it is getting to that point. Yeah. 
So speaking of getting to the point, the next set is solving the problem at hand. And, you know, the first item on that list is I have a plan B in case my solution to my current problem doesn't work. The next one is I have already implemented my plan B in case my solution to my current problem doesn't work. Next is I can articulate the steps required to solve my current problem. And finally, in this grouping, I can clearly articulate unknowns and risks associated with my current problem. And I have issues with two of these points. Go for it. Okay, so I've already implemented my plan B in case my solution to my current problem does not work. If you have implemented a plan B that is good enough, one, I'm not sure that you should go and implement a plan A right now. That, that you know, like you've changed the value of that solution by having one. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that's kind of like break it down and go, here's what I need to do if this doesn't work. Yeah. But like taking the time to implement that, that plan B, you know, it's plan B for a reason. It's a less optimal solution. So if it doesn't, you know, you don't want to implement that and waste the time if you're not getting something out of it. So that's a point I have an issue with. The other point, before we get to the other one, I wanted to address this one because that's, that's not exactly how I read it. Like, yeah, I mean, that's not quite what he meant, but I mean, we, I know what we said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, it can be taken that way though. Yeah. See with, and it's been a little bit since I listened to the whole thing. It was like a week or two ago when I listened to it again. But uh, anyway, with this, the way I, I perceived it was I have a plan B and I've already checked to see that plan B is a viable solution. Not I have like gone through and done all the plan Bs. Yeah. And and I got that from from the thing too. Um, yeah. I, I'm just looking at it going, hey, if we tell developers they have to do plan B, they'll write it. Uh, that's true. Yeah, you got a point there. So what's yeah. your other issue? Uh, I can clearly articulate unknowns and risks associated with my current problem. To a degree, I, I agree. I hate to quote, I think it was Donald Rumsfeld. It was either Donald Rumsfeld or Dick Cheney. That, that beautiful speech about unknown unknowns. Because you do deal with those sometimes too, right? Like you go, okay, I don't know this thing, but I also don't know what I don't know. And I may not even know the fact that I don't know what I don't know. And to some degree, that is, that's tricky. I mean, that's why you articulate the problem to other people, right? Like this is why you bring other people in so that you can cover more of that ground. Um, also, I think that's why you're you're articulating the unknowns. It's, hey, I don't know this. And right. if it's, and when you list out the risks and unknowns, someone else may go, oh, hey, there's right. an unknown that you don't know about. Right. So the, the way to understand this is these things are rabbit trails, not rabbits. Yeah. And so long as you do that, we're good. It's yeah. just, it, you know, I, I did have to kind of like, Yo, dog. Uh, been there, done that. <laughs> it's not cool. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the big idea here is that always be thinking of what to do in case your solution doesn't work. Right. You know, or if it works too well, as my uptime Kuma experience this week has shown. Yeah, because uh, it was it it worked par excellence. I will tell you that 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 Discord integration works like a champ. It has had the it has been stress tested. Also, I think like 
just so that we're not being too granular here, remember software, the whole point of writing software is to solve a problem. Right. Like either for yourself or for business or something like that or for customers, whoever you're solving it for. So sometimes plan B may be a non-software solution. Uh, you know, this is something I've learned. You know, I, I play Factorio, which is like a factory building game. And I got like a crazy set of mods and stuff. When I play it. But one of the things I've had to get over is trying to design the system to be perfect from the get go. It's like, dude, the crappiest automation in the world is still better than you doing it. Yeah. Almost 100% of the time. And you know, so sometimes plan D or plan E is good enough. You know, in, in all honesty, it's like, hey, the computer takes care of the problem. And yeah, it's not efficient, but there's not a human having to deal with it. And that makes sense. That's a really hard lesson to learn. Yeah. And like, I we had a conversation a while back too about building something versus buying something, which that would be a really great co- podcast episode, by the way. I don't think we have a card in the backlog for it. About but to. yeah, thank you. No, we, we had a conversation because like, that was when you were you were kind of coming to that realization of, hey, maybe I don't want to spend my time. I don't want to say waste, but spend my time building something when I could just buy it and focus on something else. Yeah. I mean, that's the premise of open source, too, right? Yeah. Is, hey, I can use this thing for free and or contribute, you know, and my contributions pay for it, but not like, hey, I'm, I've got to send them a thousand dollars right now. Right. Yeah. If you're doing the open source right, you are contributing back. But yeah, uh, that that's a reasonable, reasonable thing to think about. Now, unreasonable things to think about are like the next point. And this is just one item all by itself, which I agree with. And this is, I have not thought or said, I can just make up the time without immediately talking to someone. Holy crap. <laughs> you know, because you do this early in your career when you really, you know, you're fine with sitting up till midnight coding on something. And getting up the next morning, this is not a sustainable situation for anyone. You know, there there is a time and you know there's there's a cost investment here, and trying to cover it up basically means that you are not accurately evaluating the cost. Yeah, goes the other way too of taking time off and being like, oh, I can just make it up at a later time. Like, there's most companies. I'm not going to say all because I know some are like super strict about stuff, but most of them are going to be like, oh, you know, you need to cut out 15 minutes early, stay 15 minutes late next, you know, tomorrow, stuff like that kind of flex a little bit. But yeah, a lot of them are just like, don't tell me. Yeah. Like if I yeah. can't see the numbers, I don't care. I'm, I'm really happy when I work with those kind of people. But you get to a certain point. Usually I, I usually add about 30 to 45 minutes. If it's going to be that long, I'll say something to to somebody. And then I got told, hey, if it's, less than half a day don't bother me about it so I, i've been in places where it was like if it's less than half a day don't bother me about it because i know you're going to make it up i trust you you've you built that trust but you don't want to start that way you want to be told that even when you're told that there is something fundamental about covering up the cost of things that means that the costs go out of control yeah i mean we we see this all the time in industry and government and in every you know, you probably see it at HOA boards and everything else. Actually, I know you do where something that is not being accurately reported on, you know, there, there's no upper bound on the cost at that point. And it's, it's like this with your time too. So yeah, I, I totally would, you know, I can be 110% behind this one. 
Yeah, no, I, I, this one is, is very important. So, and you know, when you don't do this on the, the one end where Will was talking, you get yourself burnt out really quickly. On the other end, you can get in some serious trouble at your job where, especially if like, if you didn't even say, oh, hey, I've got a doctor's appointment. I'm just going to make up the time later this week. You know, like if you don't do that and people are expecting you to be there or to be to be available, at least like you may be you know, in the code, but then somebody has a question or something like that. Yeah. And if you're already behind because you're making up the time now, you can't help them. Yeah. And your manager is not aware of that. So it's just, it's really good. Just, I mean, just to let them know, because it might also be like you, you reach out to your manager and be like, Hey, I'm going to make, you know, is it, is it all right if I make this time up or just say, if they've given you that permission, be like, Hey, just letting you know, I'm doing this because they may be like, Oh, Hey, you know, we got a meeting scheduled that day and you know, we, it hasn't gone out on the calendar cause it's like two weeks away. And so, yeah, there, there could be stuff like that going on. So the next one is also a one-off and it is I write a framework and have used it multiple times to actually solve a problem it was intended to solve. So my question is what is like, and he's got like framework. I say he's got this. I I got this from a, a blog post about it, but like the word framework is in quotations. Yeah. I actually want us to do an episode on frameworks versus libraries versus APIs versus yeah. platforms and actually have that discussion because I do not like frameworks. I know. Like I'm I'm fine with a platform where I have to completely work within its bounds and whatever. And I'm fine with a library where I bring it into my thing. But what I don't like is something that gives me just enough rope to hang myself, which is what a framework is, uh, in, in my opinion. And one thing I see in a lot of places is somebody will build some framework to handle something and it only handles this one use case. And really what happens is it, it actually doesn't even handle the use case that it has been deployed to. It handles the writer's perception of that use case at a fixed point in time. So yeah, I, in general, if somebody has a framework and they have not applied it multiple times in a bunch of you know disparate situations, I do not feel that it is polished enough to be used in production. But the problem is, is like, how do you test it and prove that it's polished enough to use in production as you use it in production? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was about to point that out. So I'm glad you, uh, you saw the flaw in your own logic. Well, I mean, I I see the flaw in my own logic, but I'm still going to argue that, right? Because (laughs) somebody has to actually prove that it's stable before it can go to production. And so they're still effectively doing what I want them to do as a precursor to what they have to do to actually be a, a valid framework. You know, a great example of this is early, early Ruby days. You would set up, was it Mongrel? I think was the, was the web server for Ruby, and then you set up Pound. I think was the was the thing that handled like multiple threads essentially. And you'd see situations where you had to reboot one or both, like you had to re- restart them constantly, like every few minutes in some production situations. This was real early on, right? It was not baked yet, and people were using it. And that was an example of a framework that was not there. Um, now it is, obviously, but a whole lot of people, you know, a whole lot of people got burned early on because the framework wasn't quite baked enough. That makes sense. So, all right, yeah. So, right into that point, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It goes goes right into it. Uh, 
the next grouping we have is uh, basically about testing your solution that you have to the problem. See how they sort of all flow together. He he did a really good job with this video talk that he did. So they all they flow together. But um, the first one here is I can articulate back to this articulation what the test for completion of my current problem is. And the next is I can articulate the hypothesis related to my problem and how I could falsify it. That's important. Followed by I can articulate the various latency requirements for my current problem. And the last one is I can articulate the various throughput requirements for my current problem. And I will tell you that a big chunk of developers can't do the last three of those most of the time. You know, the falsifiability thing, they could chew on it usually, but like latency numbers, you know, this is something that I feel like as an industry, we're really bad about pushing stuff out and going, okay, did it fall over and die? Oh, it did. So it failed the test. It's like, yeah, it died in production. That's not, um, that's not really the, the scenario I want for testing. Yeah. And the same thing with throughput. Um, I've worked on so many systems that were built using some, you know, whiz bang, cool new tool that when it scaled up, it couldn't handle, you know, even just normal load. I mean, stupid stuff like, Hey, I'm going to have the, I'm going to have the ID columns, uh, you know, for my various tables, you know, the primary keys, they're going to be GUIDs, but I'm going to store them as a character array. What? Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, for some, you know, somewhere at some point this made something easier or somebody screwed up. And yeah, you put that in production and it does not take a whole lot of load for that to not go well. Yeah, no, that, okay, well, I mean. Trust me, I know all about that one. Yikes. And and that was somebody not thinking about latency and throughput and scale because they're doing it on their local machine. And so there's not as many, you know, round trips to server. The index isn't as big. It's not fragmented. In the same way, you know, um, or or flat out just using GUIDs as a primary key and not you know, having sparse GUIDs as a primary key, right? So like you, you know, when you're allocating them, you kind of want them to be close together, not over the range of what a GUID could be, because then the table, you know, the, the structure is not amenable to indexing as well as it would be. Oh, yeah. I know. Right. I've seen that problem before. Yeah. Oh, I know you have. I think uh, I think I remember that chat. <laughs> oh yes, uh, more of a rant, uh, a frustration. Yeah. It was like I don't think I actually talked in that chat. Yeah, I don't think you did <laughs> but, either. I think I just went off, and you're like, "Yep, been there." Yeah, I think that's, that sounds about what you said. I think you're just like, "Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> some fire, find some water." Yep, you like talk about yep. the burning sensation later. I think that was actually back when I was drinking, and you took me out for a beer after work that day. Yeah, I I mean, living, I, if I remember correctly, I was that was a while back. I was still living up in Nashville. Yeah, it, it's been it's been a while, quite some time. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and the same thing with th- your your throughput requirements, right? Like, if you don't know what a production situation is going to look like, for instance, uh, the software I'm working on right now is deployed in a warehouse, in a, well, actually a bunch of warehouses. Warehouse networking is not great, most places. Yeah, I'm sure that comes as a surprise to a lot of people. And when you have it across the U.S., that's a whole other can of worms, too. And, you know, you have thousands of people using a system. You need to know those things up front. 
And if you can't articulate that, then you can't build the system. Yeah, that's true. So, so uh, yeah, the next one, the next one is I can articulate the most common concrete use case of the system I'm developing. And that fits in right with this, right? Like your latency and your throughput are some of the requirements. The form factor of the device that somebody uses to access the system is one of those requirements too. It's very, very different when it's like, yeah, they're doing this, you know, they're plugging into the rack somewhere and, you know, they're on, you know, multi-gigabit connections right there with the, with the system versus, hey, I'm, you know, I'm on a tablet in Kazakhstan and the server's in New York. Yeah, those are two very different scenarios and you really need to know which one you're in before you start writing things. Speaking of tablets, that was one thing that uh, one of the early projects I worked on when I was a junior developer, I think I was still doing contracting back when I, yeah, this was, this was back when I was still doing contracting, was a, an application, it was an Angular application that was going to be on a tablet that was going to be taken to all sorts of very rural places where while the tablet did have, you know, internet connection and self, like wireless internet connection, it may not have a signal out where it was going, you know? And so it had to be able to like fail uh, like halfway through the process and still be able to come back to the office and upload everything and all that. Oh yeah, it was it was interesting because when you like really talked about the use case of the system, it got really complicated fast. But it was really fascinating to work on that. I learned a lot from that and then uh it was what was really cool is they got us tablets, like the ones that they're like they bought the same tablets for us as developers to use and QA to use as they're going to have out in the... Oh, that is nice. Yeah. Now, when I, you know, left that uh, contracting gig, I, I had to give them back the tablet. But it was still kind of cool to have it and be like, I can actually test on the thing that I'm... Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't want to test your uh, system latency requirements with Android Studio. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, it was What yeah. was nice is, you know, we... <laughs> We would get together and get on. Um, we would plug a modem into the system, or not modem, a router into the system, and uh, into the network, and we would be on that, and then we'd unplug it just randomly. Yeah, I I worked with a QA guy years and years ago who you know frequently ranted about just he's like you guys don't write stable software. We're like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well. Your software runs off a of CD-ROM. This tells you how long ago this was. Uh, and it's like, yeah. He goes, what happens if they eject right in the middle? Your software doesn't work. And you're like, bro, you know, I can, you know, this, the bandwidth wasn't really there to pull the disk to their disk and work off of that. But I mean, he was, he was just like, well, if they, they eject in the middle, it, it doesn't work. It's like, yes, because they did something dumb. But depending on what your users are like and what the system you know, scenario is the dumb things may happen. Yeah. And that may be expected. I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, hey, the software stopped working. It's another thing to be like, hey, everything that I've worked on for the last week is gone. Yeah. 
You know, those are two two very different scenarios here. Um, but then it go, it still goes back to you really need to know the exact use case, exactly what at least the primary, right? You know, start with that and then work to the other stuff. Because when you don't know that, you're you're building things. Well, like like I I got brought into this project, but when they first started, they weren't told they were going to be on tablets. They thought it was going to be on laptops. Yeah, and that's a very different thing with Angular because you need to build it. Yeah, kind of different. You need to pack resources and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and and uh, the thing is, they were told that because that was the initial plan, and then it changed. And actually, got like I personally think it's better, and I think the people who were using it liked the tablet idea better than the laptop. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, I used to hate tablets, and I've I've grown more and more to really I, I kind of live in mine a little bit now. Yeah, uh, for for a lot of stuff, just because it's so convenient. You know, I I can have it on my bedside table, and you know, at night. It's like, oh, I need to do this this thing. And I get mm-hmm. frustrated with apps that either assume that, you know, I'm always connected. Uh, hey, plural site. Seriously, yo dog. You know, hold that sign in token across reboots, please. Like quit doing this crap where I, I I bounce the tablet and I have to re-auth because if I do that when I'm in the car, obviously my wife's driving. Like I'm not like watching React videos going down the road. Driving. I thought you would, but you know. Yeah. I know. No, I mean, well, you get to react. Uh, we'll put it that way. Wow. Um, but, you know, like, be aware of how people actually use your software. I, I hate to kind of call, call them out a little bit, but I've been burned by that several times and had to reconnect with my cell phone to to auth into the app. And it's like, hey, I just authed at the house. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. why, why does it do this? So, yeah, that's something I would I would definitely... And that's a definite use case for for people too, especially if you're going to have the ability to have to access. Like, if you're going to have the ability to use it offline, like if you can download the videos, then and I watch, should be able to off. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that's that's my thoughts. So the uh, the next grouping we have it's actually one of the bigger groups. There's five of them. Is about the data understanding the data that is coming in. So the first one of those is, I know the most common actual real-life values of the data I'm transforming. Next is, I know the acceptable ranges of values of all the data that I'm transforming. Followed by, I can articulate what will happen when somehow data outside that range enters the system. Your QA's name is somehow. I can articulate a list of input data into my system roughly sorted by likelihood. I know the frequency of change of the actual real-life values of the data I am transforming. And that's yeah, and this kind of speaks to like how you organize your storage and Oh yeah. Yeah, some of the pipelines and stuff. I've seen so many systems that and this is especially true on systems where the devs have their own copy. And they're editing things like enum tables and stuff. You'll you'll end up with just garbage in there. And they're like, "Oh, I've got to I've got to index this table because mine has got seven thousand rows because I was an idiot when I was testing the UI." And production's got three rows. Yeah, just th- those kind of things. Which I think that's practically every dev system I've ever worked on has had something like that, one way or the other. Yeah, where it's like production or the has other direction. Like, yeah, say yeah. one way or the other. Production has like ten thousand records, and dev has. Two. Right. 
or, or production has a log going back to, you know, the Mesozoic <laughs> and, and you you blow the database away, you know, every, cha- every time you change branches. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and knowing the ranges is also really important, you know, because probably most of your data types actually coming out of the database should not be the primitive types that they are not in actuality. You may not, you know, use a type system to restrict them, but you should still understand that. Okay. Yeah. This string comes out of the database, but I know that this string is not longer than a certain length. I know that it is not going to have foreign characters in it. Let's say, right. It's not going to have, you know, non-printable characters in it. It's a, you know, it's a real string. It's a human readable string. Or it's going to be parsable by JSON or or whatever. Um, if you don't know that and you just go, oh, I'm just going to put crap in there. Well, you know, any optimizations that you can do in production are gone. Yeah, I um, ran into this. Well, not so much with production, but just ran into this with the testing where just our unit and integrate more integration testing of our API that we're we're building now. Whereas the team who had been on it before had just put in like um, they set it up to identify users by their their GUIDs and which is okay because we're getting it from a, a different place. We're not like super storing it, but we still have to store a little bit of user data. So we're just kind of like anyway. Well, they had put in some just junk data. And then stuff in the system got moved around, some things got deleted, and suddenly it was like, hey, it's failing because, you know, the junk data doesn't make sense now. And so we had to go in and make make some changes to the way we were doing things because of that very reason. It's like, hey, this does not match the real-life data. It doesn't even make sense compared to the real-life data. So we need to at least get it in the same way uh, like they had like the the user good equal test in some of the tests and it's like all right now this needs to be a legitimate good because you know yeah or you know legitimate json yeah oh yeah i've seen that too where it's like oh yeah it's just it's just junk we're just throwing in there to to check the the connections there and then you get a little further down in development and you know, you're you're pulling back an array of the you know a whole list of them, and all of a sudden that one is causing your entire that that one line of data in dev is causing everything to crash. Yeah, or it gets into production because you also had no discipline on the input field somewhere else. That's my favorite. It, it doesn't burn the devs because the devs are used to the data being crap. That's true because <laughs> they put it there. Trying to clean that up myself, but yep. <laughs> All right. It's, so the next one is a single point. Uh, I have at least partially read the available documentation for the hardware platform and tools I use most commonly. Yeah, I I agree with this to a point. Uh, de- depending on first of all, what your platform's uh, notion of documentation is. Uh, I used to rag on Microsoft. They've gotten a little bit better, I think, on this. They kind of go through waves where they get bad and then they get better. Uh, of course, I'm all on JavaScript now, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, but where their thing is, here are all the libraries. And here's here's our source code comments barfed into a wiki. That kind of documentation, that's about as useful as 
you know, snowshoes in a minefield. It, it it's not going to get you anywhere. Still better than FileNet. Have you ever read the FileNet documentation? I mean, I don't I don't like to call people other than Microsoft out, but their documentation is the absolute worst. Well, that's IBM, right? Yeah, it is IBM. Yeah, IBM is, I, well, oh my. yeah, I mean, like, look, you know, I will totally stop ragging on Microsoft to rag on IBM, and I will stop ragging on the devil himself to rag on Oracle. I wasn't even going to go to Oracle on their documentation just because I can usually find someone else who's gotten super frustrated with them and written something up because it's there is that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I yeah, just as an aside, you know, if you if you want the good documentation on a platform and the provider doesn't have it, type into Google, you know, whatever my platform is, sucks. Yes. And usually the first few rants you find there will teach you more than you could learn in a year. Cuz that's what I do and it it's worked great for me. Oh yeah. I just remember this was several years ago. I was writing an application to integrate with FileNet because we got tired of having to deal with it directly. And I was like, all right, if we have one point of contact, then it's just going to be easier for everybody. And they're still working on that, by the way. But anyway, I learned a lot, a lot from that project. Um, I got to help out with some of the the architecture, the design of it. Like it was really cool. But reading through the FileNet documentation, I just remember there were meetings I would go to where I'd be like, well, this is what it does. So like, how do you know that? And I was like, I show them in the documentation. I was like, it doesn't say that. And I was like, yeah, but this means this, this means this, this means this. And when you put it all together, it means it does this. And after the first two or three times of saying that and then showing it, they finally just said, all right, whatever. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, but you got to watch that because then you become the expert. Well, I just left, but you know, you have to flee the field of battle. After that. I got a promotion to another department. So yeah, yeah. And I did Flip. not leave them. I did not leave them high and dry. Actually, I got uh, a very nice message, email from the lead developer on that project who uh, who told me, he's like, hey, the guy that we had come in to replace you said this is the cleanest code he's ever walked into. Good. And I'm like, thank you. I spent, I did spend like the last week or two really making sure that everything he needed, because I didn't, like, I'm still good friends with a lot of the people I worked with there. I'm like, I wasn't leaving out of any like, oh, this is a bad place. I was leaving because I've got a great opportunity. And yeah. Well, and those come back around too. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, I I still get calls from people I used to work with mm-hmm. asking me questions about stuff that I wrote years ago. Not as often as it used to be because I got better at documenting things. So, like, because I don't like answering the phone. But yeah, that that makes it where people who don't know what you look like are favorably disposed towards you versus hating you. Well, the th- yeah, and the thing is, those people, and you've experienced this, but they, like, they may not know you in person, or they may barely know you, but then they go work somewhere else. You apply for a job at that other place, and they're like, "Oh, hey, I worked with his code, and it was good. We want to hire him." Well, I can tell you a, a great example of that is David Neal. You know, he's a you know he's he's a pu- public figure, and he speaks at conferences and stuff. Uh, JavaScript. Yeah. And he's one of my mentors, right? Yeah. He's a great guy. He has been the mentor for two different people I worked with 
before I ever worked with him. And so when they're like, oh, here's the people we're interviewing. And I'm like, you need to hire that one. Uh, like I can, I can call, I can make two phone calls right now to get you the references or you can take my word on it. And I think that that kind of weighed in on that decision because yeah, I, I knew who he was having, I think I had talked to him once yeah. before that point, but yeah, I, I knew the quality there and I'll still, I'll still pretty loudly say that. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking for somebody, pay him a lot of money. Yeah. Sim- <laughs> similar story on, on the same person where I was at before we were looking to, to bring on a contractor who, uh, who had worked previously with him. And I, I saw that and I, I just happened to be having a conversation with, with David about something else. And I was like, Oh, Hey, do you know this person? And he's like, Oh yeah, he's great. And he like said some really nice things about him. I was like, all right. So I told my boss who was doing the hiring and her response was, Oh, if he liked him, then yeah, (laughs) that's a, that is like, it's like your mentor's mentor. Yeah. Your grand mentor or whatever. Grand, or grand mentor. Grand. I'm not sure how that would work because there's multiple lines there. But yeah, it, it makes a difference when you can when you can do that. It also makes it where your word is trusted when you say something is not a good idea. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's valuable. So the last one we're going to talk about, and we're going to go through this one kind of quickly because we're getting we're running out of time here, is understanding the business need and users of the system. I have sat and watched an actual user of my system. I know the slowest part of the users of my system's workflow with high confidence. I know what information users of my system will need to make effective use of the solution. Personally, I feel that watching an actual user use your code is something that should be somewhat of a hazing ritual about a year in because you will see stuff that you, you just... You know, we, we have a bias, especially if you're writing software for people who are not technical, or especially if they're super not technical. Like I, I dealt with some software years ago that was dealing with RFIDs in cattle sales lots and watching some of those people use code that I, you know, use a system that I wrote was extremely painful. I've talked, you know, like the, the grandpa speed, you know, mouse movement and, you know, oh, by the way, the, you know, they got to stop and spit their dip out. And, you know, the mouse is kind of gummed up because it's not in a place that's really well maintained and there's livestock. That is real jarring. And it will make you stop doing things for yourself and start going, okay, how do I help this person? Because, you know, you got a face to put on it. And go, I would not want to clean out that mouse ball. That's bad, but I can tell you that it was way better than running the network cable. Ooh. Ooh. Because no. <laughs> oh. I did that too. Oh, yeesh. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. So um, this, this side project that I, I am working on, that is one thing that I have been very specific about is, hey, you know, I'm I'm just building this, you know, a basic blog for, for this organization, a uh, nonprofit. But uh, I, I have talked to the person who deals with their current site and literally said, hey, what are your pain points? What is the worst thing that you have to do? And let's see what we can do to make that easier. You want to talk about making friends? You say stuff like that and you go, oh, I know three things I can do right now like that I can add to this new site that will make your job a lot easier. So you don't have to do like one thing they're having to deal with is 
because it's is it's okay to say it's it's a WordPress site and it's sort of been like it's older and it's been put together piece by piece. That's what WordPress is great for. It's great for like setting something up quick and building onto it. But they're like, oh yeah, if we have to change something, we have to change it in five places. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You will have one place to change it and it will change everywhere. Because I only want to write it once. Yes. And you know, like when you see someone's face light up when you say that, and I was like, I haven't even written it yet. And it's already just like, wow. It's like, yeah, when you can make their jobs that much easier with just a simple like, hey, it's easier to just store it in one place and just populate from that. Yeah, I'm doing this for me, not you. But that's, yeah. Yeah, that's great that you like it. it it's, <laughs> you know, I, I think the other thing too is it it humbles you a bit mm-hmm. because we we have a tendency to think that everybody uses systems the way that we would use a system, right? Like everything I buy or install now, there's webhooks and there's API stuff, and you know, there's all the security bits and all this, you know. There's stuff where I can wire things together. And, you know, I have that bias when I look for something for me. But if I'm trying to build something for clients that are working in a warehouse and having to unload boxes all day, that I really have to get over that. And it is extremely hard to get rid of that bias until you actually start, you know, you can put a face on the person that is having to touch the system. And you go, okay, well, if Joe over there is coming to this forum, what's it going to do? Well, first of all, you know, Joe d- is not on a 4K monitor. You know, Joe is on, you know, on his phone in the warehouse with a crappy signal. And you kind of have to have those kind of those kind of thoughts. So, yeah, it's it's really important to understand the business side of it to the level of the people that are using it. It really is. So, guys, there is a lot to unpack in these expectations um, and the consequences of not meeting them. Your goal in improving yourself and becoming a better developer should really be to meet as many of these as possible, just like Will and I tried to get through as many as we could, and we got a little over halfway through it in the in our time box here. But don't feel terrible if you don't meet all of them. None of us meet all of these all of the time. Just keep doing what you're doing that does meet the ones that you're meeting, and then the ones that you haven't quite gotten yet, they can become future goals for you to work toward while improving yourself. Also, look for these in other developers, especially when times are good, because they're going to be an indication of how it'll be like to work with them during the difficult times. That's pretty much all we got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at completedevpod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.